Good morning. I said this the first service and it feels weird to say it again, but isn't it great that it's July and it feels so good outside? Who would have known it was July? I don't even know what the date is today. Today's July 3rd, right? That's what my notes say. It's, it is an honor to be here with you guys this morning and uh, to get to deliver the message uh, while Dave is away and uh, get to share with you. You guys get to know a little bit about who I am and all that good stuff. I do work uh, with the young adults, which is 18 to 26-year-olds. Uh, I work with Pastor Brian as the students are transitioning out of high school and into adult life, all that stuff. And then I also work with uh, groups and helping you uh, get plugged into life groups at home or classes here. And so that's some of the things that I do here at New Life. If you've got your Bibles, let's grab those and you can get your note-taking sheet out. I love our app because on our app, you can just open that up. You can get the note-taking sheet. You can fill in with that. So if you don't have our app, go look for it on uh, the Play Store or at the, uh, at the Apple Store. Just type in New Life CC, New Life Christian Center. So everything is New Life CC. You can find it there. And, uh, but you can also get that from our, our website at newlifecc.com. You can go onto the, the front page there, select Turlock, and then you'll be able to find uh, the note-taking sheets there. There's also some discussion questions that follow there. So if you have a group of people that you want to get together with, talk about the messages, that's where you can find that stuff. And you can grab it and have life groups together, all of that. Shameless plug for life groups right there. We're continuing our series uh, on miracles. And not just uh, the miracles that we find in the New Testament, but in the Old Testament as well, found throughout the Bible. As we walk through some of these miracles, it's our hope and our prayer that uh, you'll see and understand that miracles aren't just for the people living in Bible times, but that God is in fact still working in and around us today. Amy Grant had a song titled Angels. Anybody remember that song? Way back in the 1900s. Um, we used to listen to that song. And as a, as a kid growing up in church, there are a lot of songs that are embedded in core memories in my mind. This song, for whatever reason, is one of those core memories. I didn't have to go and look for the lyrics of this song. I know the lyrics of this song. And in the second verse, it goes like this. God only knows the times my life was threatened just today. A reckless car ran out of gas before it ran my way. Near misses all around me, accidents unknown, though I never see with human eyes the hands that lead me home. Those lyrics come to mind for me often. Miracles, right? Miracles that are happening around us that get us home. Those million little miracles that we've been singing about. God is at work, and I hope that this morning our eyes and our hearts can be opened to recognizing all that, he's, that he is doing. So for you, what comes to mind when you think of a miracle? What is it that you think of when you go, hey, we're going to be talking about miracles at church. What is it that comes to mind for you? For me, I'm thinking of big things, right? Like somebody being healed from cancer. I'm like, wow, that's a miracle. That's a miracle that I, I want to uh, think about and talk about and see happen. What, yeah, what about the miracles in the, that we read about in the Bible, right? Maybe that's something that you think about. Maybe some of the miracles that Jesus himself performed, where the blind was given sight or the deaf are able to hear again, the cripple being able to walk. But what about all those many times that God intervenes in little ways that don't make the headlines? Merriam-Webster's dictionary defines miracle as an extremely outstanding or unusual event. 
And today, I want to look at an unusual event that was extraordinary, a miracle that we find in the Old Testament. So, if you got your Bibles, you can kind of bookmark this there. Go to the book of Jonah. The book of Jonah. It's in the Old Testament toward the end of the Old Testament. So if you find Matthew, if you know where the New Testament begins, you can get to Matthew, go to the left. Just turn a few pages to the left. It's a short book, just four chapters. And it tells the story of one of God's messengers. And I want to take us to Jonah chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. Jonah chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, to set up this unusual and extraordinary thing that takes place in Jonah's life. How many of you know the story of Jonah? Or at least are familiar with it at some level, right? I I think that all of us uh, know something about Jonah. Whether you read it in a children's book or you attended a Sunday school class and and heard it in a Sunday school class, you you watched parts of it be portrayed out on a Hollywood movie screen or, or whatever. I think that Jonah in the belly of the whale is a familiar story. It's familiar to our culture. But what about the rest of the story, right? We know of Jonah in the belly of the well. The story goes on to talk about him being in there three days and being spit up on shore. But what about all of the other parts that are happening? And if you were to read through Jonah, it's just a short book. So when you go home, I know this week you'll be like, I'm gonna read through Jonah. It's gonna be really exciting. Read through Jonah, you'll find that it doesn't have a resolve really to its ending. There's no, and they lived happily ever after. It just kind of abruptly ends. There's no, uh, there, there, there's like there's this missing miracle that's happening behind the miracles that we find. See, Jonah's a prophet of God and all throughout the Old Testament, we read about different men and women and uh, that God would directly speak to and instruct them to go and deliver a message to different people or different groups of people. And as a messenger of God, if you were a prophet, if you were a messenger of God, your reputation was on the line. If what you said, what you were claiming that God told you, if it didn't come true, in fact, you could lose your life. If what you delivered, the message that you were given and that you delivered didn't happen just as you predicted. So here's this guy, Jonah. God gives him a message to deliver to the city of Nineveh and Jonah decides to ignore God, smart guy. At least the first time he ignores God. He doesn't deliver the message, he disobeys God. And in fact, he tries to run from God to avoid delivering this message to Nineveh. And that's what lands him in the belly of a whale. That's what lands him in the belly of this large fish. And after the experience, Jonah reluctantly goes and delivers God's message. And where we find Jonah in Jonah chapter four, verse five, He's sitting outside the city of Nineveh, waiting, watching to see if what God told him was going to happen would actually happen. Jonah chapter 4, verse 5 and 6. Then Jonah went out to the east side of the city and he made a shelter to sit under as he waited to see what God would, to see what would happen. And the Lord God arranged a leafy plant to grow there and soon it spread its broad leaves over Jonah's head, shading him from the sun. This eased his discomfort, and Jonah was very grateful for the plant. So we know about Jonah and the whale, but what about Jonah and the plant? I think this is quite unusual, that God would grow a plant to shade Jonah from the sun. And this morning, I want to look at why God 
would grow this plant. But more important to the story that I want to tell today is why is Jonah in need of this? And why is he sitting outside the city watching and waiting for what will happen to it? Out of all the characters that we read about through the Bible, Jonah is the one that I feel like I identify with the most. Now, if you've been in church for any length of time, you're thinking, wow, and Pastor Dave asked him to deliver the message today. Yes. Now, Jonah is not a person that you would necessarily want to emulate in the Bible. He's not somebody that you would pick out of all the characters to maybe, you know, have your child to grow up to be like Jonah. But I came to the realization that I was a lot like Jonah several years ago. Somewhere around my 40th birthday, I'm not entirely sure, it was a midlife crisis or whatever it was, but I began to look at areas of my life where I needed to grow, where I needed to make some changes. And one of the things that, that came to my attention was that I was looking at everything from a very pessimistic mindset. I wasn't seeing the best in myself or the best in others. And I, I've always been a glass is half empty kind of guy, right? But, but, but something had shifted. Something had shifted in this season and I had become so pessimistic and so cynical. See, the pessimist or the cynic finds fault in just about everything. And they focus on those things more than anything else. The pessimist or the cynic would say, they're a realist, right? I'm just telling it like it is. I'm just letting you know this is how it's going to play out. I'm, I'm just a realist. And, and honestly, that was me, right? That was my excuse. That's how I played it out. I'm just being, a, I'm just being real. But what I started to realize was that little by little, I was becoming increasingly more critical. More critical of myself, more critical of my family, more critical of my friends, more critical of my church, critical of what God was doing or what I perceived that he wasn't doing. And I went, when I looked at what the Bible had to say, it was clearly pointing me in a different direction. Verses like 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7 came to my attention, which reads that love is patient, that it's kind. It's not jealous. It's not boastful. It's not proud or rude. It, it doesn't demand its own way. It's not irritable. It keeps no record of being wronged. It, it doesn't rejoice in injustice, but it rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. It never loses faith. It's always hopeful. It endures through every circumstance. That, that wasn't a reflection of my life. And this verse and others began to convict me, and I started asking myself, why? Why was I being so pessimistic? Why was I being so cynical? And I began a journey to recover from this mindset that I had allowed to control and take over my perspectives. Now, I haven't completely recovered. This is a constant battle within my mind to remain positive and optimistic. But I like to say that I'm a recovering pessimist. That's, that's what I say I am. I'm a recovering pessimist. But out of all, uh, as all pe uh, recovering pessimists know, once you identify an area of your life to change and you commit to changing it, you're likely going to be challenged. You're going to be tested. In this season of challenging and testing, I was working for my wife's parents. Uh, I was working for my wife's parents at their family-owned business. I had left pastoring behind about 10 years before this moment. I had gotten hurt. Uh, I became bitter and angry. I was angry at myself. I was angry at God. So I walked away from ministry, walked away from pastoring altogether. 
and I landed this position in the family business. And honestly, things were going well. Um, I had risen to the top in my field respectively and I was enjoying the rewards of over 10 years of hard work. I found that the work that I was doing was, was helping others and it was also technical and, and I found it so rewarding and I was enjoying uh, uh, work, I was enjoying life and at home we were working on becoming debt free and we were completing some goals and we were excited about the future and then everything turned upside down. We found ourselves looking for work as my wife's family made the decision to sell the business and move in a different direction. We began seeking God for what was next and we felt impressed to move to Colorado. And uh, in that step back to Colorado, it was taking a position back as a pastor, a part-time role in a little church in Longmont, Colorado. So being that it was a part-time position, I was gonna need to find other work and miraculously, a job opened up at a doctor's office in uh, uh, the line of work that my family business was in. Everything was coming together. It seemed as if God was just miraculously putting everything out in front of us. God was providing. We were excited. And so off to Colorado, I went. Shannon and the kids stayed behind to finish the school year and to begin preparing for the big move. And that's when everything got tough. Over the next few months, that pessimistic part of me reared its ugly head like it never had before. I felt all alone in a new city, hundreds of miles away from my family. I was seeing the worst in everything, focusing on those things more than what God had planned. And the thing is, I had family back at home that was supporting me and loving me and encouraging me. I had a great group of people that I had got, started going to church with and stepping back into pastoring that loved me and embraced me and encouraged me, let me sleep on their couches and, and, and took care of me and fed me meals and made sure that I, I didn't feel alone. And I had a great group of people at the new job that I was working at that, that were, were encouraging me and building me up. But my pessimistic perspectives, that pessimistic mindset would ultimately lead me to a place much like Jonah found himself outside the city, isolated, waiting for God to move and not expecting God to just move, but expecting him to move and to perform based on my wants, on my terms. It was all about me. It felt like nothing was going right from our, from our, our finances to health. It seemed at every turn I needed God to step in and fix all the things that I thought were wrong about my situation. And once again, I found myself angry and frustrated, defeated, broken, lost, shaking my fist at God. Why isn't everything working out like I planned? And I felt like I was fighting against God, fighting for how I thought things should turn out. I think we all face moments like this in our life at one point or another. Have you ever felt as if God was so far away that he didn't care about you and what you wanted and what you needed? Like nothing was going as planned and you felt like God wasn't listening at all? And you had to fight God for what you wanted or what you needed? Or at least what you thought you wanted or needed? 
And this is where the story of Jonah comes into play for me. I think the story of Jonah is one that most people have heard or at least are familiar with to some level or, or, or another. Even if you've never gone to church or you've never read it in the Bible for, the, for yourself, the story of Jonah is in the belly of the well is I think as familiar to our culture as it is unusual and extraordinary. We pick up this story where Jonah has sat down outside the city of Nineveh. A lot has happened to this point, and Jonah hasn't wandered away from the city for a little camping trip to get some rest. In fact, much like me, Jonah's frustrated with God, and he's fighting with him. He, he's fighting over what he thinks is the way things should be. God's given Jonah a message to deliver to the people who live in the city of Nineveh, and this is not a place where you would, would, have, would have taken your children for a vacation. This wasn't the place where you woke up uh, and said, hey, for the weekend, let's head over to Nineveh. It'll be great fun. This was a city that was so evil that God is sending a message to them through Jonah that he's gonna destroy them. So evil, he's gonna destroy them because of all their depravity. But here's the thing. When they hear God's message from Jonah, they turn towards God and they seek his forgiveness. They seek his mercy and his grace. And what does God do? Changes his mind. And the city is saved. Now remember, if you're a prophet of God, if you're a messenger of God, success or failure would be dependent upon what you saying actually happening. Right? What God was telling you to go and say better happen. If you said something that was going to happen and it didn't happen, you could potentially be put to death. Here Jonah delivers a message to the people that God tells him to go and send to them. And then God changes his mind and saves the city. Jonah's frustrated. Clearly, I would be too. He, he changed the game. He flipped the tables. And he's sitting there. And his hatred for these people is so great. And at the same time, his credibility as a messenger of God is destroyed. And this is why Jonah is sitting outside the city in Jonah chapter 4, verse 5. In Jonah chapter 4, verse 1, it says, This change of plans greatly upset Jonah, and he became very angry. He's angry at God because God changed the plans. The story of Jonah in chapter one starts off with God telling Jonah to deliver this message of destruction to a group of people that Jonah didn't like. But Jonah refuses to obey God. He's disobedient because he hated these people so much that he didn't want God to show them mercy and grace. Wow, what a guy, huh? Listen to what Jonah says to God in their conversations between Jonah and God in chapter four, verse two. Jonah's telling God, didn't I say before I left home that you were gonna do this? I told you you were gonna forgive them. I knew it and that's why I ran away. It's why I didn't wanna deliver your message. I knew that you were a merciful God and compassionate. I knew that you were slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. I know that you're eager to turn back from destroying people. Jonah understands the character of who God is, and yet he's fighting against him. Jonah's angry because he knows that God is slow to anger and that he's filled with unfailing love. God's wanting to show mercy and compassion, and Jonah's so caught up in himself and his own opinions of these people that he refuses to obey God. He runs in the opposite direction, and this is where pessimism and cynicism begins to take control. How often do we let our own perspectives, our own ideas 
of others dictate what we think they deserve. And I know if I'm honest with myself, I've reacted just like Jonah on more than one occasion. And this is one of the areas that I see I'm not very different than Jonah. My pessimistic and cynical mindset often clouds my view of what God is really trying to accomplish. The miracles, both great and small, that God is trying to work in me and around me, I miss them because I'm pouting. I'm frustrated because like Jonah, things aren't going my way. And all the while, God is trying to accomplish a much deeper and significant work. Jonah's sitting outside the city, wanting to see the destruction of Nineveh that God had, had declared was gonna happen. And God is showing mercy and kindness to the city. And he's showing it to them because they've responded to his message and they've turned towards him to receive that forgiveness and grace. But Jonah isn't satisfied. The Bible teaches us that God's plan is ultimately that no one would perish. In 2 Peter 3, verse 9, we, we read that the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He doesn't want anyone to be destroyed, but he wants everyone to repent. God is working out his plan for the people in Nineveh and Jonah isn't having it. I think it's so much easier for me to stand up here and look out and point out all the things that are going wrong in your life. All the things that you need to change and all the problems that you face, it's a lot easier to stand on the outside and critique the other people, right? Than it is to look in the mirror and to see what's happening within our own hearts. And the Lord was showing me Jonah in a way it was like God was putting up a mirror. A mirror to my life and he was saying, Tommy, stop being so pessimistic. Stop being so cynical. Would you stop looking at everything so selfishly? Would you stop responding with hopelessness every time things don't go the way you think they should? Would you stop reacting without love? Stop being like Jonah. Like Jonah, I was fighting a battle with God and I couldn't see the bigger picture of what God was trying to accomplish. And we can draw a lot of conclusions from this story. Within the book of Jonah, there are many lessons that we can apply to our lives. But today, I want to look at a few things that happen in Jonah's story for us to consider. So if you're taking notes, write this down for number one. Fighting God can be destructive to those around me. Fighting God can be destructive to those around me. At the beginning of the story, we're told, of Jonah's story, we're told that after God gives Jonah the message for Nineveh, Jonah gets up and he runs from God. And he actually goes and he looks for a ship that's headed in the total opposite direction of where God wants him to go. He's hoping to escape God. He's hoping that he can run away from what God has asked him to do. He's trying to avoid God. Jonah chapter 1 verse 4. But the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break apart the, sh the ship. Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help and threw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. Sometimes our choices, often our choices, our habits, our attitudes land other people in situations that can be destructive to them. 
Jonah's disobedience and his pessimistic mindset put others in harm's way. And when we choose to respond like Jonah or like I did in Colorado, it can have a dramatic effect on those that we love and those that we come in contact with. My pessimistic mindset hindered my relationships with my family, with my friends, with my new friends, with my new church, with my job. I was so caught up in myself that I often neglected all of those relationships around me. And I know I missed opportunities to show them God's love. How often do we get stuck in our own little pity parties and we drag our family and friends down with us? When we're fighting against God and being disobedient to him, it affects those around us. Write this down for number two. Fighting God can be destructive to me. Fighting God can be destructive to me. Jonah was running from God and he gets into a boat headed in the opposite direction of where God's told him to go. The Lord sends a storm. The sailors are fearing for their lives. They're throwing cargo overboard. They're crying out to their gods. And ironically, Jonah is sound asleep in the bottom of the boat. He's down in the hold. He's out cold, taking a nap. The captain is yelling at him. How can you sleep at a time like this? Get up, pray to your God. Maybe he'll spare us. Jonah gets up from his nap and he confesses that he's a messenger of God and that he's running from him. If they just toss him overboard, the storm would stop and their lives would be spared. So if I'm one of those sailors, I'm like, boom, yeah, throw him out, get him out of here, right? So they toss Jonah overboard. And in Jonah chapter one, verse 17, we read that the Lord had appointed a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the fish three days and three nights. Not a fairy tale. Not a children's story, not a Hollywood movie, something that's happening in Jonah's life. God's working. When we choose to react and respond like Jonah or like I did in Colorado, it can become very self-destructive. And I'm sure that I missed out on so much because of my pessimistic mindset. I lived with so much hurt, with so much anger, with so much fear, and, and I, I was neglecting my physical health. I was neglecting uh, my mental health. I was neglecting my spiritual health because why? I, it, I didn't care. Nothing was going the way it was supposed to. I, I set out to Colorado to return back to ministry, right? That's what I'm supposed to do. That's what you want me to do, right, God? I'm, I'm following what you want me to do and nothing's going right. So who cares? I'm just going to throw in the towel and forget it. Nothing's, nothing's right. I know it wasn't all bad. Like the story of Jonah, there were moments where God moved despite my attitude. There are moments where God is moving in Jonah's life despite his attitude. But that pessimistic mindset was destructive to me and to those around me. Jonah's actions put others in harm's way and it put his own life at risk. Jonah has a moment with God while he's in the belly of the well. He's crying out to God and God hears his prayer and he has the fish spit Jonah up on shore now Jonah reluctantly makes his way over to Nineveh, delivers this message finally that God's told him to deliver. And it's a message that God's going to destroy the entire city in 40 days. An enemy of Jonah's people, Jonah's pretty excited about it. Nineveh's gonna be wiped out. But what happens next wasn't what Jonah thought should happen. God forgives the people and he spares the city. And now Jonah's sitting outside the city and he's throwing a pretty good temper tantrum. It's filled with all the drama of a toddler. 
woe is me, he cries out. Like, like his life was going to be totally ruined and destroyed because God showed mercy to a city that he didn't even live in. And here's where God steps in for Jonah. And he provides shade from a plant, miraculously grows this plant to bring shade and comfort to Jonah. Even when we're frustrated with God, he's patient with us. Jonah is fighting God. And yet he's providing this shade. Jonah was missing all the miracles, the million little miracles that were happening all around him. And it's like God was saying to Jonah and it's saying to me in Colorado, I'll wait. You, you work that out. You work out that little temper tantrum. You, you work through all that stuff and I'll be right here. I'll wait for you. And when I look back over my season of extreme pessimism, I see the shade of God all over the place. How we were able to pay our bills, the, the many wonderful relationships that we made, the lessons of his faithfulness, and on and on the list goes. See, God was performing miracles all around me. He was performing miracles all along the way. He was growing shade for me at every turn, but I was missing them, and I didn't see it. I think some of us today need to take a step back and ask God to help us to see the miracles that are happening around us, to see the miracle that he is working and that he is doing, to help us see those shade moments that he's provided to bring comfort, to change our perspectives and get our eyes off of ourselves, maybe get our eyes off of a particular situation or a, or a particular problem that everything's going wrong, to get our eyes off of those things and to get our eyes on Jesus. God is at work. We may not see it, and things may not turn out the way we want or the way we think that they should. But when we place our hope and trust in him, we will not be disappointed. The greatest miracle that happens in the story of Jonah is that the entire city, we're told over 120,000 people, hear the message of Jonah, hear the message of God from Jonah, and they respond and they turn and they align themselves with God. They humble themselves and ask for forgiveness. Write this down for number three. Aligning with God gives me a new outlook. Aligning with God gives me a new outlook. Jonah chapter three, verse 10 says this, when God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind. This is one of those few times that you'll read in the Bible where it says that God changed his mind. But here's the thing. This isn't a changing. This isn't the people of Nineveh praying hard enough to convince God to change his mind. God's declaration that he is going to destroy the city of Nineveh is based on their past actions. So when God told Jonah to tell them that he's going to destroy the city and they turn toward him, God forgives them. Right? Because we read in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, that all have sinned. That all of us fall short. We all don't measure up to the standard that would get us in there to heaven and get right with God. But as we read on in Romans in chapter 10, verse 13, it says that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. 
All that call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That's amazing. Nineveh calls on the name of the Lord and they find forgiveness. God's message to them is very much a conditional message as it is to us in our lives. If you continue this way, if you continue going in this direction, you're gonna find destruction. But if you turn and you align yourself with me, you're gonna find hope and you're gonna find life and you're gonna find forgiveness. The people of Nineveh turn towards God, they align with him. And Jonah's fighting against God and his attitude stinks. The man of God, the messenger of God, right? As we align with God, he can begin to show us a new perspective. He can help us to see things from his vantage point. As we align with God, as we follow his word, as we get into his Bible and align ourselves with him, something begins to happen and it changes our hearts. It changes our outlook. It changes our perspectives. And no, not everything turns out the way that we think that it should. God sometimes shows up at the most inconvenient times and asks us to do some things, right? He doesn't always follow my schedule and my to-do list. We don't always see the miracle to happen the way that we think that it should. But when we align ourselves with him, he promises to never leave us. He promises to never abandon us. He makes a way if we'll just trust him and obey God provided shade to comfort Jonah in this place of pessimism. But he didn't intend for him to stay there. And he doesn't want us to stay in those places either. And just as he miraculously provides this plant to grow and provide shade, he also sends a worm to kill the plant. Great ending to the message, huh? Jonah chapter 4, verse 7. But God also arranged for a worm. And the next morning at dawn, the worm ate through the stem of the plant so that it withered away. Once again, Jonah's angry at God. He's frustrated about Nineveh. He's frustrated because his shade plant has died. Uh, he, he, he wants the city to be destroyed. He's pouting. He's shaking his fist at God. And God brings comfort through the shade plant. But Jonah doesn't realize that it was God guiding him and providing for him all along the way. And now the shade is gone and Jonah's back to his same old pessimistic mindset. And the story of Jonah concludes with God's message to Jonah. In Jonah chapter four, verse nine, God says to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? In verse 10, he continues on. So you feel sorry about the plant, but you didn't do anything to put it there. It came quickly and it died quickly. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all of the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? See, Jonah had gotten fixed on himself. His own prejudices against the people of Nineveh and he missed what God was trying to do. He missed what God was trying to do in his life as well as what God was trying to do with everybody around him. See, God desires to work in your life. And at the same time, he's also desiring to work in the lives of your family he wants to work in the lives of the people that are sitting to the right and the left of you in this building today. He wants to work in the lives of all the people that you're gonna come in contact with, whether you're driving on the freeway and they're cutting you off or, they're, or you're waiting behind them in line and they're actually writing a check at the grocery store. God's wanting to work 
in and around all of those things. And ultimately, he's wanting to work in the lives of every single person on the planet. What perspectives or mindsets do you have that might be keeping you from seeing God's handiwork in your life? What perspectives or mindsets do you have that might be keeping you from seeing what God's trying to do in the people you come in contact with? God through Jonah's story is trying to show how gracious and merciful he is. And he invites us to receive that same grace and that same mercy. Can you see him working it all out? Can you see the million little miracles happening all around you? What if we could trust God in the moment? What if in the moments of disappointment, in the moments of struggle, what if in the moments of joy and blessing as much as trial and tribulation, what if in those moments we could fully surrender to him and trust him that he in fact is working it all out? Even when faced with impossible odds in the storms of life, what if we could believe the best in all things and trust that God is in fact working it all out for his best. Romans 8:28 tells us this and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are so awesome. And Lord, we worship you this morning. How great it has been to be in your house worshiping you together as a family, as a church. And God, I gotta once again come and ask that you would forgive me of my pessimistic and cynical mindsets, the, the mindsets that cloud uh, my perspectives of what you might be trying to do in and, in and around me. God, I wanna partner with you. I wanna be one who, who, who walks with optimism to see the best in all things, that you are really working it out, whether it looks the way I think it should or not. God, I pray that as a church, you would help, help us. Help us to live and walk that life. Lord, that others would know you. God, that our lives would be a reflection that we would be able to point people to you that they would find that grace and that mercy and that forgiveness, that hope that only you can bring. God, help us as we go out of here today to trust you, to fully trust that you are working it all out for the good of those who are called according to your purposes. In your name we pray, amen. amen. Thank you. It was so good to be in church with you. Today we have Rich and Deanna that are gonna be out in the back. Stop by and see them. Uh, great, great ministry. Um, the, the retreats, I have been blessed by many of those retreats. And so if you uh, can squeeze away with your spouse, go and talk with Rich and Deanna and uh, get signed up for the marriage retreat in September. You will not be disappointed. Have a great week.